Hey, as we get prepared to open up God's word, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Oh, Father, we just thank you so much just for this opportunity we had just to worship you and sing to you. Father, we thank you for just the, the fact that we get to praise you in that way. And we praise you just because of who you are and, and we praise you because of what you do. And God, we thank you for the opportunity we get right now just to open up your word and learn more about you, Father. And I pray that as we do that, God, that you would speak this morning, that, uh, Father, that you would be lifted up through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, and uh, that as a result of that, we would get a better picture of who you are and uh, who we are in light of that. And so we thank you for this time and we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as we begin here today, uh, I feel like I need to start by addressing a little bit of the elephant in the room. Uh, Pastor David tried to upstage me a little bit earlier today, and I can't let that happen. And that is to say that the rumors are true, and uh, four weeks ago now, my wife and I, we gave birth to our third child, our second daughter. Thank you. And again, just for clarity's sake, my wife is the one who gave birth and I held her hand throughout the process. And I don't even think I did a very good job at that. But we did welcome another war child into the family. And my wife and I right now, we are just, we are beyond blessed. We are beyond excited and happy. And if I can just speak for myself here, uh, we are also a little bit beyond overwhelmed these days. I remember there was a comedian, he had four children. And he was once asked, what's it like having four children? And his response was this. He said, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. And that's, that's a little bit how we feel right now. Uh, I, like to, I like to say my heart is full, my house is full, my car is really full, and my wallet seems to be a little bit emptier these days, and I don't quite know what's going on. And those of you with older children, you're saying, you just wait, Chris. You have no idea what's in store for you, and that's right. But listen, enough about me. I, I know what all of you want, or at least I know what the ladies want. I don't know if the men care as much. But you want a name right, and you want pictures. Am I right? Well, I have come bearing gifts here today. I have both of them. First of all, let me give you the name. Uh, we have decided to name our daughter. Drum roll, please. We have decided to name her Mackenzie Noel Ward. Mackenzie Noel Ward is her name. And uh, glad I'm, I'm glad two of you approve. That's good. <laughs> too late to do anything about it now. So uh, uh, if you're interested in why we settled the name McKinsey, my wife and I are really big on names that have meanings. Uh, we don't want a name that just sounds good. We want to have a name that has a meaning that we can speak into our children. Lucas, for example, means light. Madison means gift from God. Well, McKinsey means something like child of wisdom, child of wisdom. And it is my wife and I, our goal, we, we always want to speak wisdom into all of our children and we're hoping at least Mackenzie will listen since it's in her name. And so that is her name, Mackenzie Noel Ward. And now let me give you some pictures, okay? So let's go ahead and put the first picture on the screen. This is from a few weeks ago. Yeah, that is the required response when you see a baby, isn't it? No matter how cute or ugly, you have to go like that. I think she's pretty cute, though. Let's go ahead and put the next picture on the screen. This was earlier this week. There she is with her eyes open, yeah. You know, it's amazing. Our daughter, Madison, she's not that old. She's 15, 16 months old. You forget just how tiny a newborn baby is. I mean, they're just so incredibly small. She was 6 pounds, 10 ounces, and then, you know, losing a little bit of weight. So tiny, but she's filling out a little bit now. So that's a picture from this past week. And then let's go ahead and put that, that final picture. This was a week ago on Father's Day. There is me with my three children. And so there you see, thank you. There you see one incredibly blessed dad, and there you also see one very tired dad. 
And for those of you who are interested on how uh, McKinsey's older brother and sister are taking to her, they love her, they absolutely adore her. Madison especially, again, not that old, 15, 16-month-old, she loves her baby sister. She loves to give her hugs, she loves to give her kisses, and she also finds, uh, she also loves, we're finding, she loves to poke her baby sister. And uh, I'm actually convinced that Madison thinks that her sister's name is Gentle, because every time she's with her, we always have to go, Gentle, Madison, Gentle. I think Madison thinks her baby sister shares her name with the cat, because we say the same thing when she's with the cat. So that is our family. And I just want to thank my wife and I want to thank all of you from the bottom of our hearts for the love and the support that you have shown us. I know many of you prayed for us. I got text messages and emails and cards and so on. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we, we truly consider you a part of our extended family. I, I'm not joking when I call you brothers and sisters in Christ. You are our brothers and sisters. And that means that you are the aunts and uncles of these kids. And you know what that means. I expect really good presents on their birthdays, okay? Just so you know, they prefer gift cards. Kind of weird, I know, but they prefer gift cards. So that is my family. And um, if I can just say this, I, I want to get maybe a bit, a bit reflective here, maybe even a bit sentimental, but I, I just want to say a few words about this journey that my wife and I have been on. Um, you know, July 1st of this year, so just a few days from now, that will mark actually my six-year anniversary here at Friends Church. I started on July 1st, 2012. Thank you. Thank you. And when my wife and I came on staff here at Friends, uh, we did not have any children. And in fact, I, I know many of you know the story, but you may not know the timing of this. The week before we came on staff here at Friends Church, that's when we suffered our second miscarriage. And that was, a really, that was a really scary time for us because we did not know at that time whether or not we, we would ever be able to have any children of our own. And to see all that has transpired in the course of six short years, and they have been short years, they have flown by. I mean, to, to, to go from wondering whether or not we would have any children of our own to, to now wondering and I think pretty seriously thinking that we're done because our hands are full. I mean, it, it is just incredible. And you know, don't you, you know who gets all the credit for that. And that is our God. You know, the older I get, men and women, the more I realize two things about our God. One, he is immensely powerful. He is able to do anything. And two, he is unbelievably present and near and loving and caring and compassionate. Our God is not some distant God in the heavens, disinterested in the affairs of this earth. He is a God who comes right alongside us and he showers us with love and mercy and with grace. In fact, at the beginning of first service, I was, I was just remembering that phrase, if you've grown up in the church, you know it, and I like to practice it, is where the pastor goes, God is good, and you all respond with all the time, and then I say all the time, and you say God is good. And I'd like to try that right now. Okay, ready? God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. And I have seen that over and over and over again in my life. And perhaps most importantly, I've seen that over and over and over again in his word. If you have brought your Bibles today, I'd invite you right now to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to start out today. We are beginning a brand new sermon series here at Friends Church. And in order to properly introduce this sermon series to you, I want to take you to this remarkable section of Scripture, which is actually all about what I just talked about. It's about the goodness of God. It's about the power of God, and it's about the presence and the nearness of our God. Exodus chapter 3 is where we are. And the background for this little scene that we're going to look at today is that God's chosen people, the Israelites, they are enslaved right now in the region of Egypt. 
and they are being oppressed, and they are being mistreated. And so collectively, as a group of people, the Israelites cry out to God for relief from their slavery. And their cries for help reach God, as cries for help always do. And so God decides to do something about their slavery. And so he decides to appear to a man by the name of Moses. And many of you know this story. He appears to Moses in a very interesting way. Moses is a shepherd. And we're told that one day Moses is out in this region known as Horeb. And he's by this mountain known as Mount Sinai. And we're told that he's trying to find some grass. He's trying to find some some food for his sheep. And as he's near this mountain, all of a sudden there's this bush on this mountain that catches on fire. But although they're in a relatively dry and desert sort of environment, the bush does not burn up and the fire does not burn out. The fire keeps on burning, but it does not consume this bush. And so Moses is obviously intrigued. And so he, he, he approaches this bush in order to get a closer look and see what's going on. And as he gets near to this bush, we're told that the voice of God begins to speak to Moses from this bush. And first, the, the voice of God calls Moses by name. Moses, Moses, God says. And then he, he introduces himself to Moses as the God of his ancestors, the God of his father and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then he tells Moses to remove his sandals because Moses is standing on holy ground. And then after all of that, God says this to Moses from this bush. I'm in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3. It says, The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And I love this little speech that God gives here because there's actually a little bit of a surprising twist going on in this speech. Here God is telling Moses about how he has seen and he's going to do something about the suffering of the Israelites. And there are four phrases that God uses to indicate that. And those phrases are, I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, and I have come down. And you see them in the first two verses of this particular speech. God says to Moses, he says, Moses, I have seen the suffering of the Israelites. He says, I have heard their cries for help. I'm concerned about them. And so I have come down to do something about it. I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned. I have come down. And it's these four phrases that that makes what God says at the end of the speech so surprising. Because after God says, I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, I have come down. What does God say? You see it in verse 10. He says, so now Moses, you go. So you go to Pharaoh, and in the words of that famous song, you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And that's not at all what we would expect God to say based on the first part of this speech. After God says, I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, I have come down, we would expect God to say, okay, and so I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to inflict Pharaoh with an illness. I'm going to have the Egyptians be defeated by another army, and the Israelites are going to be set free. But that's not what God said. He says, I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, I have come down. So now, Moses, you go. You go and do something about it. And isn't that so often how our God works? Isn't that so often how our God does things? You know, you're, you're, you're sitting here in church and you hear Matthew or someone else one Sunday talk about how we, we really believe it's, it's God's heart that there would be no orphans in Orange County by the year 2020. 
And maybe some of you hear that and you go, yes, that is God's heart. No orphans by 2020 in Orange County. I'm so glad that we're evolved in this. I'm so glad that our church is taking a stand for this. And then some of you hear the whisper of God, as I know some of you have before. And God says to you, by the way, that means I'm going to need you to be a part of that. That means I'm going to need you to take a foster kid into your house. That means you, I'm going to need you to consider adopting a child. You see, God is going to do something about the orphans in Orange County. But he's going to use his children. He's going to be, use you and me to get that accomplished. Or, or maybe you're watching the news and you hear the very troubling and disturbing news report that it is estimated that as many as 65% of parents who find out that they're carrying a baby with Down syndrome choose to terminate that pregnancy. Maybe as many as 65% of parents would rather end a pregnancy than bring a child with Down syndrome into this world. And maybe it breaks your heart to hear that, to hear what is happening to these kids who are no less made in the image of God than anybody else. And you cry out on behalf of these children. And God says, I am going to do something about that. And then a year later, you find out that he's going to use you to do something about that. As the child that you and your husband are carrying is diagnosed with Down syndrome. You see, that's how God accomplishes his purposes. He uses his children. He uses people like you and me. I have heard, I I have seen, I am concerned, I have come down. So now you go. You go and do something about it. And if you have ever felt ill-equipped, if you have ever felt ill-prepared for the task, for the assignment that God has given you, I just want to let you know you are not alone. In fact, I think all of God's children have always felt ill-prepared for the task that God has given them. Moses definitely did. Look at Moses' response to God in verse 11. It says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God, who am I that I should do this? Surely there is someone better for this job than me. You don't have the right person. God, I can't bring a foster kid into my home. My wife and I, we're we're too old. Our kids have just moved out of the house. To bring a kid into our home right now, that would completely upend our lives. God, I can't be the one to raise a child with a special need. I'm not patient enough. I'm not nurturing enough, God. I'm not prepared for something like this. God, I can't be the one to go and speak to Pharaoh. For goodness sakes, I'm an 80-year-old shepherd. There has to be someone better qualified than me to go and talk to Pharaoh. And I love God's response when we say this to him. Because you know what God does when we say this to him? He agrees with us. (laughs) He agrees with us. He says, you're right. You're not patient enough. He says, you're right. You're not prepared for this. He says, you're right. There are people who are probably better qualified for this assignment. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Why? Look at what God says to Moses in verse 12. It says, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And the key there is at the beginning of that phrase when God says, I will be with you. And what God is saying to Moses here is he's saying, Moses, your talent, your ability or lack thereof, it doesn't matter. Because I'm going to be with you and I am going to give you what it is that you need. You know, when God calls someone for an assignment, He doesn't look at talent or ability. God does not need talent or ability. All God needs is availability. All God needs is willingness. All God needs is someone to say yes to him. Because when someone says yes to God, God promises to come alongside them. And he promises to give them what they need to accomplish his purposes. And that's what God is saying to Moses here. He's saying, Moses, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to give you what you need to do what I've called you to do. 
And it's this promise of God that leads Moses now to say what he says next. Because after God promises to be with Moses, Moses then asks the following question of God. He says to God, okay, God, you're going to be with me. Well, then I have a question. Who in the world are you? Who are you? How do I know that your promise to be with me is going to mean anything? And that's what Moses asked God in verse 13. It says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And essentially what Moses is asking God here is, is God, who in the world are you? And this may seem like an interesting question to us, maybe even bordering a little bit on rude, but it's not. A little bit of background helps here. You see, Moses lived in a day and age when it was pretty much universally believed that there was not just one God in the heavens. It was believed that there were multiple gods in the heavens. And each one of these gods, they had a name. And the name that was given to a god conveyed a sense of the power that that god had. You see, there were some gods who had a name that meant something like war. That meant that they were the god of war. There were some gods who had a name that meant something like agriculture. That meant that they were the god who was responsible for crops growing and so on. And so when Moses asked God here, God, what is your name? Really what Moses is saying is, okay, God, which one of the gods are you? And knowing the name of God will give Moses a sense of the power that that God has, and therefore whether or not his promise to be with him will mean anything. And it's this question that Moses asks, this tees up what is no exaggeration, one of the most theologically significant passages in the entire Old Testament. I don't know if you know this, not every Christian does, but our God, men and women, he has a name. He has a name, like my name is Chris, like my daughter's name is Mackenzie. God has a name, and it's not God, it's not Lord. He has an actual name. And in verse 14 of this passage, in response to Moses, we get the revelation of that name. Look with me there. It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Let me read that again. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And what God says here is so powerful. Here Moses is asking for God's name. And I really think Moses is expecting that God will say something like, well, my name is Ares. I'm the God of war. My name is Baal. I'm the God of this earth or something like that. But that's not what God says. God says to Moses, I'm not just the God of the earth. I'm not just the God of war. You want to know who I am? You want to know my name? Okay, here you go. I just am. I am. That's my name. Now, brothers and sisters, to borrow a phrase from the kids today, how boss is that, huh? <laughs> how incredible is that? God's name simply is I am. In the original Hebrew, God's name is Yahweh. Why don't you say that with me? Okay, ready? Yahweh. And Yahweh is, is usually spelled in English Y-A-H-W-E-H. -E and actually, strictly speaking, Yahweh doesn't mean I am. It means He is. And the reason why is because when we, we refer to God, that's how we're to refer to Him as He is. It would be weird for us to go around and say, I am has said this and I am has said that. So we call God He is. But when God refers to Himself, He calls Himself I am, and that's what His name really means. And just so you know, anytime you're reading the Old Testament portion of your Bible and you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that is how our translators have translated the, the, the God's name Yahweh. The, behind Lord in all capital letters is the Hebrew word Yahweh. 
And as I said, in the ancient world, especially with the gods, names conveyed meaning. And by calling himself Yahweh, I am, God is telling us a couple of things about himself. First of all, God's name conveys a sense of his power. God just is. What God is saying by that is that he is the one who defines existence. He is not dependent upon anything else for his survival. Everything is dependent upon him. God just is, and God is the only one who just is. And so his name conveys a sense of his power. But there's something else that God's name conveys as well, and that is a sense of his presence. That is a sense of his nearness, and that is his care and his concern. You see this especially a little bit later on in this story here in Exodus. A little bit later on, you see that Moses is really struggling with this idea of being God's spokesperson. And one of the things that Moses says to God to try to get out of it is he says, God, I'm not a very good speaker. Uh, Literally, Moses says, I am slow of speech and of tongue. And a lot of scholars think that Moses had a speech impediment, that maybe he had a stutter or something like that. And so he's, he's pointing that out to God. And God's response to Moses is great. He says this in the original Hebrew, Exodus 4.12. He says to Moses, he says, Yahweh yim panah. Yahweh yim panah in the Hebrew. And Yahweh yim panah literally translates into, I am with your mouth. I am God's name with your mouth. And what God is saying to Moses is he's saying, Moses, not only am I the one who defines existence, the only one who exists, but I am also the God who can be so close to you, who can come right alongside you, that I can actually cause your lips to say the words that I want them to say. Our God is immensely powerful, and our God is unbelievably present and near us, and all of that is conveyed in his name, both his power and his presence. And let me ask you this question, brothers and sisters. Where do you think we get the best picture of that in the Bible? Where do you think we get the best picture of both the power and the presence of our God? It's in Jesus. It's in his son, Jesus. Let me tell you what this sermon series is going to be about, okay? As I said, when when Moses asked God for his name, God says, I am. I am who I am. Well, did you know that several times during Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus called himself by God's name. Several times, Jesus referred to himself as I am. For example, in John chapter 18, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come to arrest him, the soldiers ask Jesus, who are you? And Jesus says, John 18, 6, he simply says, I am. A lot of translations translate it, I am he. That's not what Jesus says. Strictly speaking, Jesus just says, I am. Several times, Jesus takes God's name upon himself. It's one of the ways that we know that Jesus believed that he was indeed God. But Jesus goes even further than that. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus does something interesting. He further defines who he is. We call these the I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And seven times in the book of John, what Jesus does is he takes God's name, I am, and then he adds an image after it. So, for example, in John 6.35 and elsewhere, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John 10.11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and so on. And you see the list of them on the screen. And Jesus takes God's name, and then he adds this image to describe himself to his followers. Well, what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be looking at these I am statements of Jesus. And we're going to devote a week to each of these I am statements. And as we study these I am statements of Jesus, we're going to get a sense of both the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus, his nearness and his care and his compassion. And for the next several weeks here at Friends Church, we're going to do nothing but focus on Jesus. 
And I can't think of a better use of our time than that. So that's what this sermon series is all about. But what does this mean for you and me in the here and now? What does this mean for you and me as we go about our week? Well, right now, Pastor Matthew is going to come up, and he's going to take it from here. Thank you, Chris. Since we're announcing David has new kids and Chris has new kid, uh, Maddie and I have an announcement to make as well, and uh, we're not pregnant, so it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, keep clapping. Thank the Lord. (laughs) I have seen, I've heard, I'm concerned, I've come down. Now go. I believe this, that the the God of heaven and your creator today still is whispering with great tenacity to his followers, go. The question is, are we listening Moses was asked to go. As Chris told you, he just kept making excuses. It's pretty crazy. If you flip over one page, after all the excuses he makes, he, it's almost like he, he raises his hand and he goes, hey, um, God, could you find somebody else? <laughs> and we might not say that to God, but I, I think we do say it many times when God whispers to you and you know that the Spirit's moving you. And, and you might not say, hey, hey, God, will you find somebody else? You just... Act like he didn't speak. (laughs) Or you choose to think that that was you and it wasn't him. Or or, or you just kind of walk away from the calling that he has on you when you know for sure that the Holy Spirit's been just kind of at your soul and he says go and you just kind of say, no, that's not for me. If you think about our lives as followers of Jesus, since the very beginning, God has been calling people out of their comfort zone, out of their familiarity to go. Noah. You're the only one I find righteous. I'm about ready to end the world as you know it. I need you to go and build an ark, and everybody's going to think you're nuts, and I'm not going to give you all the plans, and I'm not going to give you how everything's going to go, but I just need you to believe and trust in me. Will you go? And Noah goes. Abram, who becomes Abraham. Here, I need you to leave everything you know, your family, your friends, all that is familiar, and I'm asking you to go somewhere, to a land you've never seen, to a people you don't even know yet, and your name's going to become famous because (laughs) the world's going to know who I am. And it's going to be because of you. And Abraham goes. Moses goes. He comes to the end of his life and he is about ready to pass things off. Think about Moses at the end. He's 120 now. He was 80 when Chris was talking. But if you go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31, he's 120. And now he's passing it off to the young guy, Joshua. And God told him, you're not taking the people over the threshold into the promised land like you thought. Can you imagine after dealing with all that stuff and pain and people grumbling and walking through the desert and freeing him from slavery. Then he comes to the end of his life and he says, hey man, it's not going to be you, it's somebody else. And he says, it's going to be Joshua. And he goes to Joshua and he says, here's what I want you to know, you're taking the people across the threshold. And in Deuteronomy 31.8, here's what it says. It says, the Lord himself, Moses is telling Joshua, goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged. Throughout all of the goes in the history of the Bible, there's not much detail. There is ambiguity. There isn't a step-by-step plan, but there is a promise that holds true today 
When you go, he says, don't be discouraged, don't be afraid. I have gone before you, I am with you, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. I love this quote that I read um, this week by Bob Goff, and it says, God doesn't allow things to happen to mess with our heads. He uses these circumstances to shape our hearts. He knows difficulties and hardships and ambiguity are what causes us to grow because we are reminded of our absolute dependence upon God. And I don't know about you, but there are things in life that remind me of my absolute dependence upon God. That when things absolutely don't make sense, but I know He's calling me to go, that I want to step into those places. And I want to be a person that trusts that God is the great I am. And that his promises are true today, just like they were thousands of years ago. That I am with you, and I'm not going to leave you, and I will not forsake you. The question for all of us sitting in this room today, what is the go of God in your life? Where is the Spirit speaking? Where is he drawing you? Where is he calling you? The question is, will you be faithful, or are you going to just raise your hand and say, hey God, could you get somebody else? (laughs) Because it's not your ability, it's your availability. It's not your talent, it's not your gifts, it's him choosing. He's actually choosing you. I was thinking about those calls in my life and the things that I've seen, and, and I look back, and some of you know that uh, as our church, we've, we've been given the leadership to lead our denomination, which means we get to oversee 45 other churches, 44 other churches. And when you think about it, it's a daunting task, and as um, I sat in a meeting with Ron Prentice, one of our pastors here on Friday night, And I was sitting in a two and a half hour meeting at a church and I just sat there and I went, oh dear God, I would rather be anywhere else than here right now. (laughs) And then I thought to myself, why did I do this? (laughs) Why did I say yes to this? And it was almost in the middle of the meeting, I rose my head and I said, hey God, could, could you get somebody else? You've been there. And God says, hey, wait a minute, oh, don't be discouraged. I've called you. I've gone before you. I've heard you. I'm with you. Twelve years ago, a lady walked into my office, and I was interviewing her for a job. And when she, when she walked in, I knew she was the person I wanted to hire. She had never been on a church staff, but, man, she was a person of great character. And she had great leadership. And I knew that she was a person that, that would make a difference in this church. And when K-Guy walked into my office and, and said to me, I don't think I'm the right person. I, I said, I think you are. And I think God will, will, will use you if you just would say yes. And she became our women's pastor um, 12 years ago. And Thursday night, as many of you know, she suffered with cancer for the last couple of years. And I was over her, her bedside and we prayed over her as she went to be into the arms of Jesus. And she passed away from this earth and went to heaven. And she's healed. (laughs) And she's whole. And there is no more sickness and no more crying and no more pain in heaven. But I thought about what if Kay wouldn't have said yes to the go of God in her heart and life? He would have used somebody else, sure. But our church is better because of her. My wife is better because of her. You don't have any clue the impact that this one staff person had 
not only in the life of this church, but in the life of one of your pastors. And her office used to be across from mine, and, and I would watch women go in and out and in and out. And they would leave laughing or they would leave crying. But when they cry, cried, you know there was a peace in their heart and there was something different because they met with Kay. And I just said, thank God they didn't come over to the other side of the office because they would have laughed crying. And it would have left crying. It would have been a lot different than when they met with Kay. Because, see, I don't need to ask what would Jesus do. I really, on this earth, would just say, what would Kay do? Because I think she's probably one of the best representations of Christ that I've ever seen. And I thought about Kay saying yes to the go of God. And I think as she's dancing in heaven right now, she, she would say to you guys, don't miss out on the adventure of what God has for you. Don't miss out on the go. Because no is easy. A lot of people say no. My job as one of your pastors is to get you out of your seats and out of your comfort zone. What God's called me to do is help you not to be complacent in your walk and in your faith. And sometimes I'm probably going to tick you off. And sometimes I'm going to ask you to sacrifice. And I'm going to ask you to give of your time and your talent, your treasure. And I'm going to compel you that there's no greater way. And I can just tell you it's not easy. But I look back on all the goes that God has given me. And when I said yes to them, I can look back in life and say I'm so grateful. And I'm going to take that promise today. And I want you to take it with you as you leave here that he says, don't be discouraged. I've gone before you. I am with you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's shaping all of our hearts right now. And as a family and a community, what is your goal? Because we got life to live. And we got people to impact. And we got those who are really far from God right now that need Jesus Christ. And as I thought about Anaheim and the 150 people that we're asking to get up out of your seats and out of your comfort zone, I thought of our campus in Orange. And after over 900 people were there on Easter and baptisms happened and people have come to Christ, I thought about the 150 that I asked almost five years ago to get up out of your seats and go. <laughs> and some of the people were sitting there and they told me the story that I was just sitting and hanging out in Yorba Linda and I felt the spirit tug in my heart and say, I needed to get up and I needed to go and be a part of something new. And that's some of you. I don't know what your whisper is today. If you're going to be one of the 150, then stand up and go. Go to the meeting at 1230. Find out more. But if God's tugging at you for something, can I just implore you today that you would step across that threshold and step into the unknown and step into not a lot of plans and step into ambiguity because you're walking with the creator of the world that says, I am. And his plan's way better than ours. I promise you that when you get used by the creator God for significance on this earth, it will change you and it will change those around you. And there is no greater invitation. God whispers still today, go. And I pray that we're going to be a church that continues to listen. Because the greatest way that I can honor Kay is to lead people to her Savior and to call you to be all that God's called you to be. So today we thank God that there was a woman like that that made an impact like she did on this place. Now she's opened the door for some of you because <laughs> it's going to take about 
500 of you to make as much impact as she did. But I'm counting on you to step into that gap and to fill that role. And let's be people that when God says go, that we go. And know that he is with us every step of the way. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you today. Thank you for your calling. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you uh, are the great I am. And that, Father, as I look just around this room as one of seven services that are happening on this weekend, uh, we as a group of people, we are blessed to be a part of this church because you're here and you're moving. And God, we thank you that you brought to us just an amazing woman like Kay. And I thank you that she impacted everyone who knew her. And as her husband asked me to read this scripture over her, on Thursday night. These words were, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. And we will be caught up in the clouds together and we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So God, we come as people who know you through your son, Jesus Christ. We have hope today. So we thank you that she is whole and healed and in heaven. And we rejoice, God. We grieve because we're going to miss her. But we are grateful that she isn't suffering anymore. Would you bring peace upon her family and upon her husband? And would you bring peace upon this place? And God, would we answer your call today to go? For you are worthy and you are worth our life. So God, may we give it unto you. And may we sing with our hearts to you this morning that you are the great I am. That you are the great Lord who is worthy of all praise. And God, we proclaim that today before we walk out of this place. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. We pray these things and everybody said, amen.